1922, Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber of King Tutankhamun. That's King Tut to the layperson. He died around the age of 19. That's King Tut, not Howard Carter. Um, his tomb had been untouched for over 3,000 years. They, they say you can't take it with you, but King Tut sure tried. He was buried with him were solid gold chariots. Think about that. Just one solid gold chariot would be fanciful. But there's an S behind it. Solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts. His coffin was gold. And it was found within gold tombs, within gold tombs, within gold tombs. The burial site of King Tut held literally tons of gold. The excess and the luxury in death were indicative of the way he lived his life. Many theories have been suggested to explain how he died, but no explanation is needed for how he lived. Clearly, he enjoyed the spoils and the power and wealth. He, he used them, uh, what he had for his own pleasures. He had security in his possession of all the things he owned. He even believed that he was a god. Now, this is not remarkable. This kind of life doesn't really need explanation. Any of us who are left to ourselves would live for our own glory and our own pleasure, given the opportunities. But you see, not far from the pyramids, in the streets of Cairo, where down a back alley, littered with garbage, there's a plot of overgrown grass. And this plot of overgrown grass is a graveyard for American missionaries. In this graveyard you'll find a sun-scorched tombstone that reads William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Borden was a Yale graduate and an heir to great wealth. He rejected the life of comfort and ease, and, and he rejected it so that he could take the good news of forgiveness and a life in Christ to Muslims. He refused even to buy himself a car, and his legacy goes that he gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. But after only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. How, how do you explain that kind of life? How do you explain someone turning their back on everything that seemingly everyone in the world holds dear? How do you explain anyone laying down their lives in service for people who would more typically be considered their enemies? How, how do you explain that? Randy Alcorn tells the story of when he visited Borden's grave and he dusted off the gravesite and the, the epitaph describing Borden's love and sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for Muslim people. And he read this inscription, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. You see, Borden lived out God's love and God's faithfulness to the fullest, the best way he knew how. And now this was a time when international travel was not as easy as it is today. He, he took everything he had and he invested it in others for uh, the love of the Lord. This morning as we look at Hosea chapter 11, we're going to see God's love and God's faithfulness in action. And we're going to get a glimpse of what God's love and faithfulness should look like here on earth, just like we did in, in the life of William Borden. If you haven't read that story, I encourage you to look it up. He was not a perfect man. But he was not content to just read about God's love and faithfulness. He had to go and tell everybody, no matter what the cost. And even when, when people didn't understand, his own family could not understand why he would want to go and do this, he still went 
And he gave his life to share God's love and faithfulness with others. You know, the danger in seeing God's love and faithfulness in action is there's a good chance we'll see our own lack of love and faithfulness or our own inaction. Today we're going to see probably a reflection of ourselves in the lives of the Israelites and what Hosea is saying to them. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we look at your word today, I thank you for the prophet Hosea, for what he shared, for what he proclaimed on your behalf. I pray, Lord, that as we hear these words, we will respond differently than than how Israel did. I know as we read through it, we'll see some commonalities. We'll see some of our own shortcomings. But I'm also grateful that you've provided a way to forgive us for those shortcomings. And I'm thankful for that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to start out with Hosea chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Hosea is speaking the words of God. And he's going to show us the following things about God's love. You can write these down if you want. The first thing he's going to show us about God's love is the pain of God's love. Hosea is going to show us the pain of God's love. He's also going to show us the picture of God's love. He's going to show us the one thing nobody likes, and that's the punishment for rejecting God's love. He's also going to show us the perplexities of God's love. And then ultimately, he's going to show us the result of God's love. What we need to remember here is that at this point in this story of Hosea, he is actually talking to Israel as individuals. He has already talked and tried to convince Israel as a nation to repent. And now Hosea knows that nothing is a greater incentive to true repentance than the exposure to the love of God. And so he finishes up this second call for individual repentance with a powerful portrayal of God's love for his people. Verse 1, chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Right here, he is referencing the first time that God delivered his people from punishment. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. We're going to stop right here for just a second, and we're going to look at the pain of God's love. You see, God's love compelled him to do everything in his power to bring his people Israel to repentance. He, he sent prophets to call the people back. And, and the more he called, as you look through the Old Testament, the more he called, it seems, the more they went in the opposite direction. Uh, basically, you could say that Israel answered God's call for obedience by plunging into idolatry even more. They sacrificed to the Baals. They, they burned incense to images. You know, the, the pain of God's love, in my humble opinion is that He has given us free will. You see, He desires a relationship with us. He requires obedience of us, but far too often we're like Israel. We take the gift of free will and we rub it in God's face and we go off and and we worship our idols and and we set God off to the side. There's pain in God's love. Because he didn't make us to be little robots to just follow blindly. He gave us an opportunity. He gave us the free will to decide. And so as he he desires a relationship with us, he also allows us to make our own choice. Verse 3 says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who, who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. 
Do you see that picture of God's love right here? It's awesome. He's, he's referencing a time when, when Israel as a nation was just like a little toddler nation. If you can kind of think about it, they were, they were a young nation, and, and God's reminding them that he taught them to walk. If you remember back as we've gone through the first part of the story, God said to them to, to walk upright before me. He's, he's teaching them what they need to do as, as, a, as a young nation. And when, when little child Israel fell and hurt itself, it was God that picked them up. And this verse reminds them of the time in the wilderness, too, when Israel was, was out there for 40 years and God repeatedly cared for them and met their needs. And verse 4 that I just shared with you is Hosea reminding them that God has made the yoke of his law, which he's laid on his people. He's made that yoke light, and it's easy by his merciful deeds, which would induce his people to obey. You think, how are the Ten Commandments a, a light law? Those are some heavy things in there, some thou shalt nots, but... When you compare the Ten Commandments to the laws of some of the other religions and what was required from some of the other religions uh, that they were beginning to worship under, some of the idols they were beginning to sacrifice to, the requirements, God's, God's yoke of the law was indeed merciful and light compared to some of those. But we all know that what we should do and what we would do are often two different things, and we see this in Israel. Verse 5 says, Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plains. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. Here it is. This is that one thing nobody likes about God. God is sharing with, Israelite, with, with the Israelites through Hosea the punishment for rejecting his love. It's funny to me, ironic funny, not ha-ha funny. Uh, we really like our freedoms here in America. It seems to me, though, that we, we use our freedoms improperly. We don't use them right. For example, we, we use our freedom of expression to curse God's name. And, and then we're surprised that punishment would come from that. Folks, I don't care what freedoms we have or what freedoms we think we have. Our, our freedoms as Americans should never trump the freedom we have in Christ. And we get caught all up in our worldly freedoms. We end up like Israel. We, we end up in bondage to the very thing we thought we wanted. We're a free nation. We want our freedoms. And it's those freedoms that bind us sometimes. It becomes the thing that separates us from God, that binds us up. That's what happened to Israel. God gave them free will. He gave them these, these parameters. And as they chose not to live in those parameters, they got bound up in their freedoms because they were worshiping idols, because they were sacrificing to other gods. Hosea is telling Israel, repent, because God is going to allow you to be invaded. He's going to allow you to be carried off in your sin. Folks, did you just hear that message? He will allow you to be carried off in your sin if that's what you choose. He will allow that. Don't be like Israel. No one would respond to the, to the words of God's prophet. As a matter of fact, during this time of the prophets and, and the messages that were given repeatedly to turn and repent, the only city that listened was Nineveh when Jonah went and, and finally got there and he preached to them. And I'm not making this up. He preaches to them. You can look it up. You can check me on it. But this is like the pinnacle of verse 7 where he says, My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will no, by no means exalt them. The only people that repented were the pagans of Nineveh. God's own people wouldn't even repent during this time. 
Brothers and sisters, it's, it's time for us to stop being so determined to turn from God. We need to start turning back toward God. We need to set aside our freedoms that we think we have and come back to the freedoms we have in Christ because those are foundational freedoms. Those are the freedoms that will sustain us. Hosea is paving the way for us to have a good old-fashioned revival here, folks. He tells them in verse 8, he says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like... Oh, I mispronounced. I misspelled that. Zeboyim. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. Here's what's happening. We're getting into the perplexities of God's love, and we may never understand those this side of heaven, but I'm grateful for them. Uh, Quick side note, the cities that I mentioned, that Hosea mentioned, they happened to be two cities that were on the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. And those two cities were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. You talk about guilt by association. Hosea is reminding the Israelites of God's judgment from the past. But God then uses these words to help us better understand the agony that comes with the judgment from the Lord, where he says, I'll not carry out my fierce anger. I won't devastate Ephraim again. Here's the thing. It's, it's kind of the equivalent of a parent saying to their child today, uh, this discipline, this, this spanking that you're about to get is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And as children, we never believed that. But, but as a father, I understand that a lot better. And that's what God is saying to them right now. In the same sense, that's what he's, he's telling Israel. He's saying, you know what? There is judgment and discipline, and it's going to happen. Judgment and discipline are going to take its course, but it's going to be tempered with mercy. That's awesome. You see, as believers, as, as followers of God, we have to understand that holiness requires absolute justice. And at the same time, grace and mercy those are things that only God can balance perfectly. We think we can. We think we can handle grace and mercy. But really, God is the only one who can balance those perfectly. And that's why we're not called to judge someone's eternal path, but we are called to share an accountability with one another in how we're living as Christians. Verse 10 says, They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Here's Hosea, and he's saying, The result of God's love is that all of the world, the sons of God, will hear the Father's call, and they will return to their land. Hebrews 1, 1-2 says, The true Israel of God hears the call to come to the heavenly kingdom through Christ. It says in, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Do you hear it? Have you heard it? Have you heard the call of God in your life? His love and his faithfulness. It's all you need to depend on when you answer that call. There's a gentleman named Chris Serber. He's a preacher from Cypress Chapel Christian Church. And he shares this story. And I think this story puts a nice spin on everything we're talking about. He says, I normally arrive uh, at church early. But on this particular morning, my wife and I arrived just a few minutes before the worship service was to begin. As my wife Christina unbuckled the baby from his car seat, 
I straightened my tie in the mirror and I watched something which is really rather commonplace in a rather uncommon way. I've seen people go in and out of church many times, but that morning it was as though a veil had been removed from things I had never seen before. It was one of those moments when something that has always been right in front of you finally comes into focus. He says, were I a painter, I would have, I would have painted this image the way it appeared to me that day. I would paint a portrait of people walking as if unencumbered, yet clearly overloaded with piles and piles of clutter and baggage on their shoulders. It was as though for the moment God was allowing me to see the burdens that we carry with us every day and bring with us into the doors of the church every Sunday. It was as if he wanted me to know just how heavy and cumbersome those burdens were. As I watched the people filing into the church, coming in from their their trucks and their cars and their minivans and their sedans, it occurred to me that each person carried his own invisible burden. Some carried the burden of guilt for past sins. These people hoped that by regularly attending church, they would convince God to forgive them. Some of them carried the burden of fear, depression, and anxiety, addiction. These people came into church hoping to find peace, even if only for an hour on Sunday morning. Whatever their burdens were, one thing became clear to me. Most of us, all of us, carry burdens that we were not intended to carry alone. He says, as I sat watching all of these people, many of whom I knew well, making their way into the church that Sunday, I was struck with the sense that so many of us come to church and generally live out our Christian faith out of what is largely a sense of obligation rather than a sense of love. We fill our lives with repetitious, well-intentioned deeds in order to fulfill our obligation rather than living a life that flows from the love of God working in and through us. Imagine the folly of a man who chooses day in and day out to to just continually hoard and heap burdens on his shoulders which are not his to carry alone. Imagine the woman who works diligently to earn the forgiveness that she's already received. Brothers and sisters, if we are to ever learn to live lives which are filled with grace and love from God, if we are ever to understand his love and his faithfulness to us, we must let go of obligation We must embrace love. That song, Come As You Are, we need to do that. We we, we don't need to do good works to earn God's favor. We do good works because we've received God's favor. Do you understand that? Good works, duty, stoic obligation, they're not what are pleasing to God. People tend to be mostly concerned with the outward appearance of things. I look good today. Some of you even said I looked good today. God's concerned with our hearts. God's concerned with how we love not just Him, but one another. God's concerned with what's on our inside more than what's on our outside. Oh, Israel, it's time to turn your hearts away from the bales and the worldly freedoms and the distractions of good intention. It's time to turn our hearts and our lives toward God. It's time for you to truly grasp how great the Father's love is for you as an individual. It's time for you to live your life like you believe it. It's time for us to let a revival happen 
in our own hearts, in our own lives as individuals. Because when that happens at an individual level, it'll happen at a congregational level. And when it happens at a congregational level, it'll happen at a community level. And when it happens at a community level, you see how that grows? Who knows? It It could end up a national thing. Our nation could be on the verge of revival, but we won't know it if we don't start with ourselves. We need to live our life like we believe it. Let revival happen. As you respond to the Word of God today, I don't know what that looks like for you. Whether it's time for you to respond with baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, or simply to just renew your commitment to Christ and rededicate yourself to Him. I don't know exactly where you are. But I know we can't go on being like Israel, distracted with good intentions and the freedoms that we think we have. It's time for us to do something different. It's time. Maybe, maybe you're in that place where you know that you need to begin to boldly live out God's love and faithfulness with others, impact the community around us, and, and you want to come and partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church. That's awesome. But whatever your response is today, as you respond to God's word, will you consider how you can honor him with your life? Please stand and sing this song with us and take time to respond to God's word. I got to tell you this one last story. There was a missionary statesman. His name was Hudson Taylor. He had complete trust in God's love and faithfulness. In his journal, he wrote, Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows it very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. However, we do not expect that he will send three million missionaries to China. But if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. You know, it's been great to worship with you all this morning, but it's time to go. As you go this week, go being a reflection of God's love and faithfulness. And when you do that, when you come to depend on God's love and God's faithfulness, you'll see clearly, just like Hudson Taylor, that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. That's what we're shooting for here at Huntsville Christian Church. Go and don't let your freedoms distract you from doing God's work. Will you stand and sing this last song with us?